0: You're listening to episode 246 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: I'm amped up, guys. Marvel's back, they're making movies, and they finally struck when the iron was hot. Scarlett Johansson proves she's a leading lady. It's something we already knew, but apparently Disney and Marvel didn't know. And I, for one, cannot wait for more Scarlett Johansson-led Uh, Marvel movies with Natasha Romanoff. This is going to be so exciting.
2: The future for Black Widow has never been brighter.
0: (sighs) Yeah, she's dead, by the way, guys. Wait, what? What? Yeah, she died in Endgame. Wait, what? Fucking spoiler Spoiler shit. Shit. (laughs) Wait, so why did they make this movie? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You're going to have to hit up Kevin Feige on the uh, hotline there and ask him. Do you have his number, Sean? (laughs) Well, Phil has the hot. Yeah,
3: hotline. Oh, yeah.
1: right, right, right. Of That's course. Right. How could I forget? Yeah, I'll call him up and see what the deal is, because I really thought we're going to get more Natasha Romanoff Black Widow movies. This movie proved that, like, you know, I assume this movie took place in 2021, year of our Lord's uh, Black Widow. So I'm ready.
0: Mm, no, it took place <laughs> in like 2015.
1: I can't
3: believe that your buddy Chris Evans didn't fill you in on all this.
1: Don't talk about Chris.
3: Did you guys? Oh, uh, okay. No is it falling out? Sensitive subject, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's real awkward between us. He's you picked the wrong Chris. That's right.
2: Should have gone with Chris Pratt. My man's got a personal Mm -hmm. connection with the Lord, (laughs) 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 so he knows he knows to get himself attached to genius films like The War of Tomorrow on Amazon Prime. (laughs) Yeah,
3: that's what I said.
1: (laughs) Have you you seen his movies? Oh, god.
3: (laughs) They said they claim it's the number one streaming movie in
2: America I, right now. I I will tell you, I spoke to my dad on my birthday, and he said, "You know what? It was a pretty good movie," uh, and that was how I knew I wouldn't be interested. <laughs>
1: <laughs> With the way awesome. streaming data works, uh, I feel like every like platform can claim they have the top streaming movie, right? Because it's kind of not the same as a box
0: office, right?
4: I guess oh. anybody can, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, who would even know? You can claim whatever you want. Yeah, (laughs) it's all bullshit. The Uh, Comics
4: Pals number one podcast.
0: That's right. Thank (laughs) you, Marco.
4: I'm the number one Comics Pal.
2: Claim whatever you want.
1: No, we could prove that. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: yeah, that's true. We took a poll.
1: Listen, but I can claim whatever I want. Number five on the call sheet and number five in our hearts.
2: Listen, I'll tell you what I said the other day. Bottom of the barrel is still in the barrel. <laughs>
1: Isn't that what you told your wife?
3: Wow. Yep.
2: Oh, no. Yep.
3: Kill that's a good way to look at it, but I'm proud so, of you. Wow.
2: It was in my vows.
0: <laughs> that's oh. crazy. Um, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. We've got some listener comments, as per usual, on last week's batch of shows. Uh, we've also got some news about the returning Long Halloween, if you can believe that. Uh, Tom King's latest black label book. This guy just will not stop putting them out. Uh Superman versus Captain America in real life on Fox News. Oh, God. That's just, that is unbelievable. Um, (sighs) And partially due to the release of Black Widow this week and partially due to this just being something that's swimming around in my brain. uh, In our main topic, we're going to be talking about Marvel Studios' 10-year struggle to address its lack of diversity how they're going about fixing that and whether or not they'll ever be able to satisfy audiences who want more representation and diversity in their movies. That's a lot of stuff to get to. That's not even all that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into it, I do want to let you guys know the Comics Pals is all over the Internet. You type us into your Google machine. We will be the first to come up, thankfully. Uh, it took five years, but we're there. <laughs> uh <laughs> if you want to support us, make sure that you guys are hitting that follow button, leaving us a rating or a review wherever it is that you listen to this show. If that happens to be YouTube, hit the subscribe button for free, like the video, share it with your friends. All those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. If you want to talk to us send us an email at thecomicspals at gmail.com or drop a comment wherever it is that you're listening to this. Or you can also hit us up on Twitter, as our first listener did. We will get to that in just a moment, because I want to also tell you you should join our Discord server, where we're always having a great conversation. We had quite a bit of conversation this week about last week's main topic, uh, should the comics industry move away from single issues. Uh, In fact, I was blasted for... Uh, hand-waving the subject of whether or not single issues were the way to go, even though we certainly did have an hour-long conversation about the broader topic. Sorry to anybody I disappointed, but I don't care. Um,
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you backed off the apology. Yeah, of course, please. Um,
0: (laughs) Otherwise, like I would
3: never apologize.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Works. Works. You should join our Discord server, though, because it is a fun place. Uh, We do have a really good time over there. Um, And uh, if you want to listen to some of our book clubs, this month, actually, uh, at the end of the month, the last Tuesday, we've got Suicide Squad coming out. Uh, Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo's run was interesting, and we had a lot to say about it. Um, And I I think this is one where you're really going to want to check it out on YouTube. It's It's a lot of fun. There was a fun bit in this one that uh, Marco came up with that I think you guys will really get a kick out of.
2: You're never going to believe this. It's a bit that pays off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a bit that Marco came up with that worked.
3: That's I mean, what I'm saying, I it pays off. Uh, Marco's been on on point lately. You know, he timed that Popeye's delivery a couple weeks ago. Like, That's my fantastic. man's killing it with these produced bits. Marco,
0: do you want to go head to head in something real quick? Because I'm actually pretty hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, if you turn to your uh, right right now, though, it looks like Rebecca.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Funny that you mention it.
0: Uh, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really insane because she's not even here. So if she what? just she
1: lied. Time.
2: <laughs> at, oh, she shows up in Marco's frame and <laughs>
4: brings him Popeye's.
1: Might <laughs> uh, as well take a break during the waste. show right now so that you guys can play Super Smash Brothers because Marco will definitely lose that. Well, yeah.
4: Oh, damn. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been practicing.
1: Oh yeah. I'll when remember. was
2: the last time you practiced?
0: You know, I picked it up maybe like a month ago. Mm-hmm. You want to know when the last time I played Smash Brothers was? When's that? Oh god, three months ago. He still beat you, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> well, no Damn, no maybe I could beat you then. No. <laughs> <Okay. Fair enough. laughs> You're probably right. And then, of course, on this, on the note of book clubs, we've got a whole host of. Of them take the comic spouse challenge, take a look at our list of book clubs. We challenge you to not find a book on there that you really enjoy. And if you don't, then reach out to us and we will, you know, you make a recommendation, we'll do whatever you recommend as long as it is a comic book. With that, let's jump into our listener comments. Someone uh commented to us on Twitter, which is pretty unique. We appreciate that. Uh, Pete, take it away.
3: Yeah, this one came from <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. Ooh, uh this one came from Angela Walker uh on last week's episode 245 and uh they wrote in and said, "I mean, looking at sales, most people are are now buying graphic novels rather than single issues."
0: Okay. So, thank you for writing in, but you clearly didn't listen to the episode, right? Cuz we we tackled that. Like that was that was a major part of the conversation. Um, the whole point was that if you were looking at just that info to make your determination about where the industry was, that you were doing a disservice. But even more importantly than that, um, you know, when you talk about distribution and where these things are available, floppies, no one's going to say it. You mean sloppies? Oh, I forgot. Dang, I forgot my own great bit. Fl- floppy graphic novels are, are oh.
3: I really missed the hell of an episode here. I, I- you sure did.
0: Uh, <laughs> graphic novels were more available during the pandemic. Uh, during the height of the pandemic, I should say than floppies because floppies were gone. The only publisher still putting them out was DC. Uh, and even, that, even then, if you are a, w- a weekly warrior, you couldn't get to your comic shop for the most part. So how were you getting? Not to mention that, right? Like Amazon is always open.
1: Also, yep. like, floppies are meant to be thrown out after you're done with them anyway. Oh, my God.
3: You're going to give <laughs> Tyler a heart attack. <laughs> it's Dude, not that I- type of show. You might as well
0: read Tyler's comment now.
3: So I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, This one comes from a friend of the show, Tyler Olson, who wrote in and said, Sean, holding that comic like that made my anxiety skyrocket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, Tyler, (laughs) I'll be honest, all right? I did that for dramatic effect. I don't hold my comics like that. I was in a frenzy, okay, because I was angry (laughs) about Marvel spoiling the end of uh x factor number 10 and who the murder who the murdered was going in the trial of bandito and i needed a a visceral physical way to show you how i felt and so what you're telling me through this comment which i appreciate is that it works so thank you
3: sean can i ask you a question though if we can part the kimono for a second did you buy two copies of the comic so that you could manhandle one and have one in pristine shape
0: no, I didn't because I don't give a shit about that comic book. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, I I mean, listen, I just I just I'm so angry about what Marvel did that something had to be sacrificed. Now the comic is still okay. It's in perfectly fine condition. But for those 20, 30 seconds, I needed to show the listeners how I felt.
2: I respect it. Something had to be sacrificed, and it was Sean's 499. Ooh.
0: Was that $4.99? That wasn't $4.99. That was three
3: ninety nine. Sean, what did it cost Sean's you? Four bucks.
1: Yeah, we're not talking Joker guys. <laughs>
0: oh, no, we're not. It's not <laughs> on my pull list. That's right. It's not. It's not. You're right. <laughs> of course, that means I don't buy it.
3: All right. right. This, <laughs> this next comment comes from uh, Harris, another long listener of the show, who wrote in and said, "Definitely a nightcrawler in the modern era of nightcrawler guy in the modern era of comics." My dude. Seventeen bucks. Yeah, it can be worse to get to get to a movie ticket in New York City. AMC A list for the win to see Black Widow. Man, y'all are spending seventeen
4: bucks,
0: New York City, baby. Since yes. seven
4: seven fifty. Yeah, seventeen fifty. I think S-
0: seventeen fifty. dollars so up. No, I, I spent um, I spent uh, I want to say sixteen ninety eight for my tickets uh for Black Widow. Also, Harris, AMC A-List, are you taking advantage of that? Because he's had A-List for since it came out, and like, have they been charging you the whole time, my man? <laughs> How's that working out?
3: <laughs> Carry on. Uh So he went on to write, pandemic era was perfect for all hobby centric sales, most likely the best boost for comics and retaining viewership post pandemic. There might be a slight dip once everything is said and done, but almost two years in this situation, I will find it hard to believe that comic sales will not retain a good number of customers. This being said, moving away from single issues may be the way to go. Graphic novels, from my own experience, would get people, uh, would get people to buy more since it is a more comprehensive, uh, story versus a chapter by chapter basis. Bringing a story, uh, Bringing, hmm, oh, binging. binging, sorry, thank you. Binging a story may get people more inclined to continue reading a title. I know it sounds a bit strange to suggest this, but with how things are priced and how willing someone is to follow issue by issue, this is a major selling point. Just imagine if Way of X was sold as a graphic novel at 60 to 70 bucks in one shot. It might be more attractive than picking up uh. Each issue per five or six dollars. However, I do think floppies. Sorry. However, do I think floppies will die anytime soon? No. Collectors will always collect, and variant covers are always sought after.
4: Um, I think uh, to to Harris's point here, and I, I might have made this point in the Discord, um, but yeah, the the graphic novel makes sense economically, um, especially for people who aren't as inclined to pick something up week over week, uh, but. Uh, for those that, that want the week-over-week sort of consuming experience, um, one of the things that I was thinking of that I don't know if you guys had touched upon in the larger conversation was like daily strips and webtoons. A lot of those come out daily, and that's at an even greater frequency. Um, manga comes out weekly in single format within Shonen Jumps and stuff and the Shonen Jumps of the world. And um, yeah, I don't see it as a format that's going away, because people like to consume it. And as long as there's an audience for that, uh, I don't know if it's going to be the, the the biggest contributor, maybe moving forward. Um, but with the rise of manga and, and how it's consumed in like the bonds, then that, that's probably going to continue. That's going to definitely continue to grow as that gets more appeal worldwide.
1: Harris, what I think you taught me here is that perhaps Diamond should set up an A-list of their own so that people buy it for all the sloppies, and then they forget about it for a year when a pandemic happens, but they're still getting your money. It's a gym <coughs> membership strategy. They would love
0: that, yeah. To be fair, I do believe that AMC suspended their, uh, <laughs> their uh, services.
4: You know Blink wasn't? We, uh, at some point Miranda was getting billed for like a few, like a few, uh, months and we ended up having to cancel this whole process, but they were charging. That's
0: think so Sick. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to respond to a couple of Harris's points. Um, when you say way of X, I'm going to assume that you mean 10 of swords, but if that's, if that's not the case and you mean like just way of X, like the entire story, in in one shot um way of x is an ongoing so that i mean there you know that would take we wouldn't have we wouldn't even have started the book like we would never it wouldn't be out yet you know we'd still be waiting for it um because assuming that it has that they would have to then craft a specific endpoint to get it all in one shot who knows when uh the book is intended to end cy spurrier could have a story that's supposed to go for 25 issues how long do you wait for something like um you're right. talking about like you know you know graphic novels like trade one two three etc etc um that's I, I don't know it's a it's a taste issue i would never be comfortable reading a book trade waiting a, a, a comic i i don't i don't um it's just not what appeals to me and marco made a point that i've never actually heard before just now but is very good i think that in, in other aspects of the ways that comics are produced uh, like manga and like webtoons and stuff like that they're actually more frequent than monthlies and people are accepting of that. Yeah. So it's always weird to me that the argument gets made um, in comics that the monthly cycle doesn't work because it it works faster in other mediums. I guess you could say like maybe because it's a month, it's it's too long to be short, yeah, um but I don't that is that's not a problem for me, And there's tons of people who it's not a problem for. so I, I think it's a little bit of a strange argument as far as whether or not floppies are going to go away. I already said last week that I don't think that they will be
1: I mean, Sean, am I crazy, but is Harris not describing an omnibus when he's talking about way of X being sold all at once in one giant compendium, basically?
0: yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. which, again, if that's how you want to consume your books, then sure, but think about the cost of mm-hmm. like, who's doing that. Like right. me,, no but I had to buy one or two a year, you know, right expensive. No one, the, they, they produce so few of those because, yeah, they're for very specific kinds of collectors. No one buys those. If you, pr- if you produced Way of X, right, which is not like a hot, like, oh my God, this book is a must-have, you know like no one would buy it.
3: Yeah, and I, I think, um, <clears throat> I definitely think that it's less of an issue of one format or one way to engage with comics, um, becoming the de facto way. I really don't think that that's what it's about. Um, I really think it's about growing alternative means of engaging with comics. Cause like, I definitely don't think that, um, that floppies are going anywhere, at least not in the near future. There's no, reason to think that right like even if there's an increase and uh, a growth in the the graphic novel market if the floppy market isn't shrinking at that same time that's representative of the overall market growing not that readers are changing the way that they're engaging with books which is a thing i don't know that comes up enough in this in this conversation right where it's like it's not a, in my mind anyway, right? It's not about like, we need to shift people off of the floppy model, right? It's more like, you need to, to the point you just made, Sean, right? Like, present ways for people to engage with stories however they want to. Um, and I think you see that in other mediums, right? Like, I think the reason that you see, um, and maybe, maybe this is like a weird example, right? But I, I'm reminded of like a show like, um, like Shit's Creek that just ended last year and it got a ton of attention when it came to Netflix and became more accessible and it's a show that's been like quietly critically successful on TV for years but like who was watching it right because it was less accessible maybe it wasn't airing where you live there's all these different reasons right but when it was in a format that was digestible and easily presentable to a broader culture People got into it and picked up on it, right? And I think it's a similar argument to be made for comics. It's like, I do think graphic novels, like the graphic novel collected format is a lot more accessible to new readers. It's a lot more accessible to the in, you know, the, the uninitiated because it is in a format that you're more familiar with. It's a collected story, like Harris pointed out. I think it is probably an easier sell to hand somebody a full book or at least like what is like an installment in a full story and get them invested in that way rather than being like, here, read 30 pages and see if you want to come back in a month, you know? Um, And not to say that there's a problem with that model, but I think it's a model that, like, you need to train people into, you know, Um, in the same way that people have been conditioned to, you know, set it and forget it with a streaming service, uh, you know, monthly cost, right? And I think you got to just hit people however they want to engage with it and, like, the growth... In that graphic novel space is because it's so accessible and it's a lot cheaper. Which is the thing we always come back to is that like comics are expensive, like they're an expensive hobby, and I think they're easy to uh, price people out, even if they have an interest. And graphic novels collections are generally even a sixty dollar omnibus, right? Like, you know, for some books, getting that omnibus is going to be cheaper than if you had bought all the issues when they were brand new at you know, at, at cost from the rack. And today, now, that would be impossible, right? So if you went and bought them digital and they're all still full price, you're probably spending more than on that Omnibus. So it's, you know, I don't know. I think it's about presenting, like, as many strategies as possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, Omnibus are typically released at, like, $100. Yeah.
1: You might be lucky to get it half off. Those things kind yeah. of I guess that's true. I'm off. thinking of Phil buying them. <laughs> <He's>,
0: <laughs> I'm pretty good at finding those deals, baby. Um, thanks, though, Harris. Really appreciate you writing in, as always, man. We've got one last one. All right. This one comes
3: from Snake of Talons, another longtime listener of the show, who wrote in and said, Sorry, Kale, didn't mean to disrespect your outfit because it was sick, but I love Pete's punk look because I'm an emo boy myself. Regarding the main topic, I love physical floppies, and I don't really want to see them go anywhere. But I can't keep justifying buying them and taking up space. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be switching to digital only soon.
1: That's a goal.
3: Oh, here we
4: go. Just the future of comics.
1: Uh, Pete, shout out to us. You and I have got a lot of listener support for our. Uh, I appreciate our, that. Our outfits, whereas Kale, who only got support from and love from Sean. I- it's something, I guess.
3: Bro. He won the, you know, he
1: won, he won, you know, he won the competition. That's cool. He won I'm the happy competition. Happy to have, happy to have the popular vote, you know. Yeah, we cool. won People's Choice, baby. Yeah,
2: People's Choice. You guys talk like that's what I want. <laughs> like I put in all that effort for Sean. Like. <laughs> <I>
5: hate tell.
0: <kill.
3: laughs> <laughs> Hate you too, buddy. (laughs) I, uh, you know, it's it's funny because I definitely get, uh, I definitely get what Snake's saying here about like the the space issue. Like, I think that that's definitely one of the the like kind of unsung drawbacks of floppies. Is that like sung?
0: It's very sung. (laughs) I'm not sure where you're getting unsung from.
3: I mean, fair enough. I like how often do we talk about that though when we talk about physical versus digital?
0: We don't because it's it's the least pertinent. Like. Yeah, it's kind of is what well, it is. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: You're buying something physical. It's going to be physical. Sure.
3: Yeah, but like, you, you know, you collect monthly comics for enough years and it's like, god damn, man. I mean, I got rid of like two or three full long boxes before I moved into this house and I'm still there's just a stack of them right
0: here now. Well, you know, do you buy CDs? Do you buy books? You know, regular books? You you know, do you buy physical games? Not as much as comics. And that's the thing,
3: you know, I've switched to digital on on most stuff now because of that space issue,
0: you know? Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah. You know, physical space is physical space. Let's jump into the palace polls. Uh, We'll start with Marco, who chose Ha Ha number four. Haha
4: is written by W. Maxwell Prince, and uh, I I love the stuff that he's been putting out. Haha is sort of this like uh, anthology series featuring clowns, and there's some sort of either dramatic or uh, like upsetting something something within the flavor of madness and like horror um, sometimes, uh, and it's good. Uh, I, I it, they've been featuring a couple of different artists. Gabriel Walter was on one a while back, I think last issue, and nice. um, it's written really well. And this this issue is going to feature Martin Morazzo, which is the creator for Ice Cream Man uh, alongside Prince. And so they're reuniting for this final issue of what is this kind of arc. Um, and hopefully we we'll get to see more because they've been, they've been doing really good stuff with Ice Cream Man. It's gone to like issue 26, I think. So I hope that HaHa gets a similar treatment an anthology nice. series. Yeah, it's like different things oh, each man, issue. I didn't know that. Fuck yeah. It's the same as Ice Cream Man. That's an anthology series? Yeah, it's like different stuff each, man, I each issue. I gotta read these fucking books. It's good.
1: I've been telling you to read for years, buddy. I can't. Sorry.
4: <laughs> read this,
2: read that. Nobody asks, can you read? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Margot shows another number four for his second pick, The Many Deaths of Lila Starr, number four. No, the, I'm he, high on this. That
4: was number number six for haha. Ha.
0: Oh, oh, okay. You you put number four. Oh, did I? Yeah. Yeah. No, you I definitely don't. did. <laughs> <laughs>
4: number six. <laughs>
1: okay.
4: Lila Anyways, Star though. Uh, Rambi, Felipe Andrade. Yo, this is hot fire shit. Uh, issue three. Mm. Issue three was really good. Uh it might've, it might've been a little like the language, a little flowery. There was kind of a lot that he was describing with it. But I think, I think this is, this is the only issue um, so far that I was, uh, I, I was like, okay, you're writing a lot here, Rom, but uh, everything else has been excellent. The story, the way that it pushes the narrative is pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited for the series.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit behind. I, I, I only actually only read the first one, so I got to catch up. I bought it. I just haven't gotten around to them. Uh, Phil chose way of X number four.
1: Yeah. I really like this book in the Dawn of X series is Cy and Robert Quinn on pencils. Uh, this is, you know, (laughs) it's funny. Like a year ago, I was complaining about the lack of nightcrawler in, uh, these X books. And now we just have an entire nightcrawler book. So, um, I'm excited. Uh, not super into the Legion stuff, but uh, well, I'm interested to see where it goes. Maybe I'll spend $60 on the Omnibus when it comes out.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that uh, Marvel's getting ramped up to produce that one.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Pete chose Silver Coin number four.
3: Yeah, so uh, we've all been enjoying um, Silver Coin quite a bit. And, um, you know, it's uh, been a, a really fun horror anthology Um great great creative team and i believe number four is by jeff lemire i think he's next at bat yep so um that should be really exciting um i i feel like in general this this series has kind of it's been like a nice surprise you know like it, it wasn't quite what i was expecting i didn't know it was an anthology until we got to the end of the first issue um And it's, it's continued to be a book that I've been like eager to pull, you know, like it's, it's, it's really a a good time and, um, some, some high quality
0: work. Also went with Skybound X number two.
3: Yeah. So we're actually reviewing Skybound X number one, uh, on the show this week. Um, so you can go check out our thoughts on that one, but, uh, I'm a big fan of Robert Kirkman's and, you know, Skybound, um, puts out some good stuff and this whole, Series is like just really strange and wacky, and um, I'm kind of just here for the spectacle of it all. Um, so go check out our full thoughts on it.
0: You can also hear our thoughts on Silver Coin number four. Yes, that'll be on Wednesday when it drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for me, I chose Sinister War number one. Now, I'm going to preface everything I'm about to say by saying that I am not reading Nick Spencer's Spider Man run, uh, I dropped it. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 issues in, something like that. I just realized I wasn't really having too much fun with it, and um, I didn't need to keep buying it. But uh, I wanted to pick this up because, first of all, it's Mark Bagley on Spider-Man. That's pretty cool. Uh, Second of all, it's an event, so I'm assuming that there will be some kind of way in for me, and that Nick Spencer probably has pretty cool plans, even if it's not necessarily um, immediately penetrable. And then also, the the thing that stood out to me the most is that this book actually has a Gary Frank variant cover. Ooh, nice. It's really, really nice. Does um, Gary Frank do much Marvel covers? Am I crazy? This is the first time that I've noticed – this. I don't know that he hasn't been doing it, but I never noticed it until now. I shared it with you guys. Oh, um man. I think it's a really nice cover. So I want to get that one. Oh, he's one of the special talents in this business.
5: hmm mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Um yeah. yeah. It's uh I it made me feel like, man, I'd really love to see Gary Frank do some Marvel. Yeah, who would you pair America. him with? Uh who would I pair him with? Oof, man. Because he's so synonymous with Jeff Johns, you know? Yeah. I don't know that there's a... I mean, my auto is Jonathan Hickman, but he can't write everything, right? (laughs) Of course. I don't know that there's a writer that I would necessarily put him together with. Hmm. Stop pretty. Yeah. Uh, And then my second pick was Infinite Frontier number two. We all really enjoyed the first one. I uh, thought it was quite good. And it's going to be leading into whatever DC's big summer event is. Um, it has a name. I can't remember it right now, but um, I'm into it. You know, the first issue left us on a decent cliffhanger. I want to see where they're going to take it. Um, this is what I wish both companies would do a little more a book that feels like, okay. If you don't, if you don't know what else to read as far as like the driving story of our of our um, you know of our company, this is the book to read. Yeah, you know, if you care about where we're going, this is the book. I like it. It's easy. It's clean. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the series.
3: I'm really looking forward to issue three, uh, where we get into Captain Carrot's uh, tragic <laughs> backstory, and you know, really just like explore the depths of what that character has to offer. Because I feel like it's really clear that DC just you know. Really uh it's just leaving money on the board at this point. <laughs> uh
1: you know this uh event came out well timed with the Multiversity Book Club. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, go read um, it
3: and then listen to our conversation about multiversity.
0: Yeah, so bump. Um yeah, I totally agree. It's weird how that worked out for us. It wasn't planned. <laughs> no. Um before we get into the news, I wanted to take a quick you know, quick for us. Yeah, okay. Um, so wait, were we twenty <laughs> minutes or? <laughs> I wanted to take a few minutes and uh, bring up the new fifty-two because the new fifty-two is celebrating its ten-year uh, anniversary. Well, <laughs> oh I think God. it's. I think it's no. Was it this year or last year? Oh, no. People have been talking about it.
1: About I think. It. I think it was twenty eleven.
0: Yeah, I think it's ten years. Fuck! Yeah. I'm so old. Um, two thousand
1: eleven.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's Oof. what i thought but i um and so it's it's been a major topic of conversation all week on twitter gail simone being one of the people who really drove that conversation on the platform um and uh, she took the time to answer questions on twitter about the new 52 and so many different creators just chimed in in general about the New 52 and their experience in working on it, but also uh, in some instances being inspired by it. Mm. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about our collective experience with the New 52 and some of the stuff that I personally learned from reading these these conversations. Uh, so first of all, for those of you who don't necessarily know what the New 52 was, it was a revolution in storytelling and in continuity for DC, they made the decision that they wanted to kind of rewind uh, their continuity um, pretty much across the board and take characters almost to a year one period. Um, Most of them.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Key key word there being almost.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that was actually one of the things that, that Gail Simone Talked about. Uh, she was asked a lot of questions about, you know, why she made certain decisions on her Batgirl story, um, what her mentality was going into the New Fifty Two in ge- in general. And one of the things that she said was that the the company was telling the creators or giving them the impression that these characters were basically this was near, uh year one storytelling that they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um and that was quickly clearly not the case. It was confusing for the creators and us, the readers. Um a good example of the confusion was Batman. Batman <laughs> was was basically rewound to be a younger man. Um it, it felt like he was in his like twenties.
1: Yeah, he looked like um, it.
0: Yeah, and he and he looked like it. But he had Nightwing. Nightwing was already, a, you know, an adult. Uh, he he actually had like all his Robins. Every basically everything that happened in Batman continuity still happened, but Batman was just younger. Yeah, he had a child. He had, was alive. Um, not that a young person can have a child. It was just weird. Um, when you juxtapose that with like say uh, Superman, who was a
1: young man, yeah, he looked like definitely in his first year or so. Yeah. Uh the
2: Flash as well had a real uh, uh a real clear um
1: year one or at the very least starting point. Uh like like Batman, Green Lantern was another one that had a real of, yeah. strange continuity because they found a way to basically make sure that you know Hal Jordan still killed everyone, Kyle Rayner brought everyone back, uh all the stuff that happened to Jeff Jeff Johnson Nestor Corps and the, blackest night and all that stuff still happened just like really shrinking that continuity uh somehow within 10 years or something Mm
0: -hmm. what's everyone here's like remembrance of new 52 how do you feel about it in retrospect
1: so i remember everyone was very negative about dc comics leading up to the new 52 um outside of a few things like Green Lantern and Batman specifically, everyone was pretty low on, on what was happening in DC. Um, I remember people were kind of excited for the new 52. It was like a cautious enthusiasm, but then when it came to the actual execution, everyone, everyone hated it. Everyone was extremely disappointed. And so, you know, this low point of 2009 DC that everyone was feeling became an even lower point in 2011 DC. But however, when we actually look at the first line of books that came out in, in the new 52, there's some really good stuff there. Uh, good show. It, yeah. it didn't apply the entire line, but action comics by Grant Morrison was good animal man. by I think, I think that was Jeff Lemire's one that came mm-hmm. out. That was great. Aquaman by Jeff Johns was really good. Batman by Scott Snyder. We learned that was really good. Um, let's see. There were some really bad ones in here, like uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws dropped in that year. <laughs> that was uh, Kale's favorite book, I know. I uh, think that was done by Scott Lobdell at that time. No. Lobdell
2: started the New 52 with Teen Titans, and it made me absolutely hate the Teen
1: Titans. Um, Justice League started out really rough. That was Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. I think the first, what, two volumes, three volumes were a little shaky, but it found its footing as it went along. Um, but some of the, like... Lesser-known books were really solid. Like, Demon Knights was good. Captain Adam was good. Um, OMAC was good. These are all books that got canceled pretty quickly, though, as they kind of shrunk down. Because I think they did a 52-issue publication line that corresponded with the New 52, but they quickly kind of shrank it all down. Um, I think it when it comes to the New 52, in the way I talk about it, uh, I think it really is not too dissimilar from just any other given line of books published by Marvel or DC, you know, a handful of those books being published are either good or very good or even excellent. And then the rest of them are either forgettable or terrible. This is how kind of the big two publication line works. I think everyone, I think the the idea of just not doing a real reboot following Flashpoint just left a really bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths.
2: Well, and, and like I was, you know, keeping up with stuff at the time, like Sean level, keeping up with stuff. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah. And, um, flashpoint was a weak excuse for an event to reset, you know, the, the whole line. It didn't make any sense. Um, well, I mean, it just, it just wasn't strong enough as a lead in. And, For all the confusion that was there around the characters like that, you know, like Sean said, like Gail said, this was supposed to be a new, a completely new starting point.
1: Yeah, think of it as post-crisis, 1986. That's what everyone was thinking. Like, this is the new post-crisis era.
2: But that stuff wasn't there for the most part. Yeah. You know, especially when you talk about Batman and Green Lantern, you know, for me, the thing was always shit or get off the pot.
1: And they just didn't do it. And it, I, it could have been excellent. Out of nineteen eighty six, that's like the definitive DC for an entire generation. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> is New Fifty Two definitive for an entire generation? I don't think so.
4: I I came into New Fifty Two as uh, as a new weekly reader, um, and so I had I I had like a, a different experience in that. As I was coming in, I was sort of. Alongside other people that were coming in and finding these things to be compelling and interesting. And I, I started picking up Swamp Thing for the first time weekly. Um, Aquaman, I never would have thought I'd be into the character, but like I, uh, he became, he quickly became my second favorite of like, um, the new 52 era and, uh, pretty much enjoyed, um, kind of all the series that Phil it out. Um, to whatever degree that I was reading, I didn't read like, Omac Mac or Captain Adam necessarily. But the bigger, the bigger name ones that I was familiar with, um, it, it felt like a fresh place to start because I felt like I didn't have to necessarily know what happened because it was just like, all right, we kind of, however rocky it was to longtime readers, it felt as clean as you could get. And that helped me with Scott Snyder's Batman, um, the Grant Morrison run on uh, Superman, which I, I didn't, particularly like so i didn't keep up with it um but there was just a lot there that i think serviced a new weekly reader uh like like me at the time that made a lot of sense and uh i i remember thoroughly enjoying most of if yeah most of the new 52
3: it's funny because um, that's kind of yeah. was my anecdotal experience with it too um Me and and all of my friends that read comics at that time were definitely all like pretty much Marvel fanboys, and like none of us were really interested in DC. We talked a lot of shit, especially because there was that kind of low point for DC at the time. Um, But I remember the New Fifty Two being where a lot of you know the people I knew picked up at least one or two DC books and were like, "Oh, this is good now." So I always like I didn't realize I think that it was as reviled across the board until I met all of you and started like doing comic book journalism and stuff and and seeing that it had like as negative a reputation as it does um because most of the people I knew were like somewhat into it at
0: least you know I I actually was pretty into the new 52 when it when it started um I, I, I really wasn't like a huge DC guy at all at that point. I was pretty much only interested in Batman stories. And New 52 was kind of a clean way for me to get in on characters who I might have been interested in, like Superman without having, cause like I tried reading Jeff John's Superman run. I bought like a couple of issues and I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, I don't, I don't get this. And, um, it just felt impenetrable. And so the new 52 felt more approachable especially because I knew the lead-in with Flashpoint so I was keyed in on all that good stuff. That being said, one of the most frustrating things about it was the lack of cohesion. It just didn't feel like a like it didn't feel like an entire group of creators working toward anything in particular. It just felt like Dis- disparate stories being told across a line and they didn't always make sense, and there was a lot of problems with continuity. Gail Simone and other creators talked about how, um, th- that was th- it was it was it was a problem for them. Gail said that they weren't even allowed to talk to each other, that the creators themselves weren't allowed to talk to each other. That's oh ridiculous. God. Um, and that a lot of the the stories that were being told were coming from editorial and the writers didn't come up with a lot of them a lot of the stories were um editorial first and that um it was almost dictatorial levels of you know what they were how they were told what they were supposed to do um i'll read a couple of tweets here too um uh, so on the subject of Birds of Prey, Gail said, um, I had twice made Birds of Prey a hit. Then the new 52 came and I was sent two paragraphs with what the new book would be. No discussion, no back and forth. It wasn't good. So I said, I'm not writing this. Sorry. So I didn't. Um, that girl had all kinds of stuff turned down. She couldn't wear glasses. She couldn't be a librarian. We had a cool hideout. She couldn't have that. Lots of stuff. Um So, you know, that, again, like, that's a lot of stuff to not be allowed to do and to be dictated to with what you're supposed to do as far as um, Birds of Prey, you know, Jale Simone being the person who kind of put them on the map, like, like, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um,
4: Those are uh, so specific, too,
3: like glasses the fuck it's it's so like w- like way to like take the person who made this a thing and then tell them how to do it it's like if there was like a mandate of like you certain characters or something like that and like these are the characters we're trying to get over like i could understand that on some level but like to just be like here's two paragraphs tell this story it's like
1: <laughs> fuck librarians <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> It it it's basically what Grant Morrison was describing as those vampiric monitors in both uh, Final Crisis and Multiversity. That's what it comes mm-hmm. off like.
0: Well, uh, there was a tweet from Mark Bernardin. Um, it's a long tweet. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Essentially, the the idea was that um, he Bernardin, was given. I think. Sorry, Bernardin. Is
1: that how you say his yeah.
0: name? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it's it's uh, in the article I have. It's Bernadin, but sorry, uh, Bernardin. Um, he talked about how he was given the reins for Static Shock, and he was going to come in on issue seven. Um, uh, his editor was uh, Eddie Berganza, um, the, the, the group editor rather, um, and uh, he, you know, he had this big idea. He was going to make Static Shock like Buffy. Um, And, you know, he had, he was really hyped. And then he would, he learned that this editor named Harvey Richards would be the editor for the book. And almost immediately, Harvey made changes to what Mark was trying to do that got away from the original idea. Um, notoriously, he says, when I turn in the first draft of the script for issue eight, the note I got back was, I just don't think you understand how superhero stories work. Damn. Um that's, that's not that's a note. really rough that's not a note yeah notes uh, in right like fuck off yeah and then mike costa said as a follow-up um With all the reminiscing about the New 52, it's also important to remember that while Mark's story of outrageously incompetent editors and weapons-grade toxic corporate short-sightedness is particularly intense, it was not unique during that initiative. I was part of the New 52, as were a lot of friends of mine. And for all the excitement from the professional perspective, I mostly remember it as an initial demolition charges of a uniquely catastrophic period for DC creative decisions and professional practices. A decade later, the majority of the decision makers were steering into icebergs and locking passengers into steerage to drown <laughs> have been shown the door in one corporate bloodletting or another. Holy And shit. all the people left, a lot of them are the good ones. I no longer have a lot of friends either working at DC or for them, but the leadership structure there is largely brand new this past year, and I hope that leads to an era of not just good comics, but good and transparent relations with employees and talent. Also, just so a good dude doesn't think I'm subtweeting shit talk, the editor for most of my run on Blackhawks was Conroy for at Conroy For Real. I went through four editors. Haha, <laughs> four editors and eight issues and he was a real yeah. he was and is a real prince. I was lucky when the music stopped he was in my chair. That's nuts. That
3: is nuts and I I don't know. I'm like such a fan of when someone like airs their dirty laundry and is like not afraid to get a little bit poetic about it. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. just the shade. And that is so fucking funny to me. (laughs) It's like
1: just one smidge of drama, please. Please.
3: Just a
0: crumb. (laughs) I really want to do a, a, a new 52 main topic one day. I've been flirting with the idea for a while. Um, You would think this would be the week to do it but um feels like we are (laughs) but it's just it's just it's just there's so much to talk about and i don't feel like we can talk about the new 52 in a main topic kind of way without going back and reading some of those books. yeah yeah for sure um so one day we'll do it i wanted to take a little bit of time though to reflect on it because it is this huge milestone and uh for me i want to say you know i got a lot out of it new 52 Is what made me a DC fan. And not just a Batman fan. Um, And. It had a lot of downs. Don't get me wrong. uh, But I thought there were some pretty big ups. Too. Uh, I wouldn't really know about Jeff Johns. If it wasn't for the new 52. Because. uh, I really loved. um, His forever evil. Mm -hmm. um, And you know. The justice stuff that he was doing. A little bit down the road. Um, And uh, I think that. One of the most important things to take away from the New 52 is something that Gail Simone said in one of her tweets, which is that even though people talk bad about the New 52 in retrospect, when it was coming out, it was so huge that it forced other publishers, including Marvel, to wake up and step up their game. Um, and she says that the evidence of that is clear when you look at how those in, uh, how those publishers shifted their their offerings. Post-New 52. I think you look at Image, maybe you could say that about Image, because that's around the same time that they started to get mm-hmm. a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel had Marvel was um, just coming out of Siege, I want to say. Um, is, it, is it the Heroic Age? Yeah, the, the Heroic yeah. Age was was just kicking off, and that was kind of lame. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think you can you can kind of see how she was right if you look at the industry at that time. But yeah, uh, I appreciate you guys indulging me in a little bit of New Fifty Two talk. Weirdly, it does hold a a special place in my heart, even if it wasn't.
1: Feels like the only time Warner Brothers put money behind DC. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's, let's jump into the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so the long Halloween is one of the most celebrated DC stories, Batman stories of all time. Uh, I think a lot of people would say it's their favorite, and I wouldn't necessarily begrudge them that mm-hmm. at all. It might be my favorite. I don't even know. Well, Grant Morrison's is. But um, after 25 years, the long Halloween is getting – a new chapter. Nice. A sequel? Uh, no, not quite. Huh? Uh, it's a getting a 48-page prestige format uh, special issue that will come out in October, on October 12th, to be uh, specific by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Interesting.
4: Mm. Coming back to it.
0: Hale's making a face.
4: I don't know about this. No, oh, yeah, I thought you'd be excited.
2: Expound. I do something else. Like the, they solved the
1: mystery. Like it's it, how long's it been? Also, this book twenty-five this, years. This title's already had two sequels. Yeah, yes. and well, they're good. Is,
0: the Dark Victory
1: and the Catwoman went in Rome.
0: Yeah, this seems like it's gonna kind of reveal something we don't know about that specific story or that specific time. Um, Loeb said 25 uh, years ago, Tim sale and I set out to tell a mystery tale of how Gotham city went from crime to freaks. The result was Batman the long Halloween. We're thrilled to be back at DC revisiting some of our favorite characters all the while revealing that you may not know the whole story.
1: You know, you're negative on it, but I'm not, I'm not totally negative on it. And I'll tell you why Jeff Loeb, I think is a, uh, a writer who's not really been in his rhythm for a while. I can't really remember the last time Jeff Loeb wrote something that wrote something that was um, particularly impactful or or, or or very good. I kind of feel like Jeff Loeb is a comfort zone writer. You get Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale in the right space and they'll churn out something really good. Cause you know, in, in their peak, they created some of the most, you know, impactful graphic novels in in the last 30 years. And so this might be the space where they can actually flourish and tell something good. I, I
4: would agree. Then I saw this promo image, and <laughs> dude, I don't know what's up with his head. Like it's like an awkward angle. If you flip it over, his head is like this. It's just like not structurally. Uh, Me, but that's a. Uh- that's tim sales art like that's, yeah but but it's not it, the the shadows for sure and there's like a variant if you scroll like right underneath with um two face, uh, like yeah that's that's tim sale for sure but this like whole head thing in the form i don't know i was that was a little weird i was like whoa okay that's uh my man long halloween and dark victory are full of that dude then i have to reread it because i i could have sworn that it was tighter no. than this. Tim Sales Batman looks weird. Yeah, it just it just does. Like it works, like it's a style for
2: sure. But yeah, he looks weird.
0: <laughs> of all the like classic stories I can think of, like Long Halloween doesn't strike me as one that needs anything added to it. Like the story yeah. is near it's perfect. And yeah. It's done and that's it. Like I don't that's- see a need to that's where and, I'm at.
3: Like, when Kale even, threw that out there, I think that sums it up for me. Even the end of the extra mystery that's set up
2: in Long Halloween is solved in Dark Victory. Right. So, like, what what else is there?
3: Yeah, like, it just, it feels like, I don't know. This feels like a story that you don't go back to the well on, and they already did, and it worked. So, like, leave it alone. You know, like be like, cool, we did that once and it played. If you want to make money on it again, just put out a hardcover. Like, yeah, you know, like I don't feel like we need to tack more shit on to something that already works.
0: If if Jeff Loeb was like just killing it, if if his reputation was what it was. 20, 15, years 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I wouldn't care because whatever, fine. You're gonna do another great story. Who am I to say to say no? But you know, the last Jeff Loeb stories that I read, I didn't really enjoy, and yeah. I feel like his turn as an as an executive at uh, for the you know for the Marvel uh, Netflix stuff and and the wider like Marvel stuff before um, Marvel TV got integrated to Marvel Studios. I feel like um, I don't think he did a tremendous job on in that role. Uh, and there's been a lot of negative commentary about his his time, his tenure uh, in that role. So him coming back to comics now after he left in a bad way and then kind of had a weird turn as an executive, I'm not excited for him. <laughs> Me Tim neither. Sale, yeah. But Jeff, yeah. I don't know about that.
3: Yeah, I just I just don't really feel like we need this
0: and... I don't know. I'm going to read it, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, maybe he's still got it. <laughs>
4: 48 pages.
0: Is, that, is this the only thing? There's the implication that there could be more, that there might be specials. Um, mm-hmm. So this could be a thing. I don't
3: know. No, thanks. I but could yeah. see
0: it being a seasonal thing
1: that they do uh, like, I th- and for all seasons and yeah. Halloween yeah
3: I think to the to what you just said before Sean about Jeff Loeb and you know his time uh in in the sun kind of ending and like what's been you know what the conversation around him has been the last couple years or whatever I think the best thing he can do
4: for his legacy right now is to just go away
1: <laughs> yeah that Nova book was uh
4: not great Mm. I wonder if I wonder if they saw like was like oh the movie's been doing all right maybe we should hey Jeff you got something
0: what movie uh, all the animated movies mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. part mm-hmm.
4: one came out part yeah two's it's coming out part soon two. yeah coming yeah. out at some point mm-hmm. I think in like August or the end of July but you know what guys could be good I <laughs>
2: unfortunately listen could be good
0: <laughs> you're right we'll that see we can be uh, you know what else could be good. Tom King's next black label book. Tom King just can't get himself away from short term, you know, black label titles. And, uh, he loves doing them with obscure characters. This time I feel like he's getting even more obscure, um, by taking on Christopher Chance in Human Target. So I don't know anything at all about this character. I have no familiarity with uh, Christopher Chance at all. Uh, Human Target is a character, and, of course, I'm reading from a Games Radar article because I don't know anything, Um, is a character who's had – there there have been two uh, people who have taken on that moniker. This is going to be focused on Christopher Chance, who is the second Human Target. Um, And basically what this character appears to do is – like um instead of instead of like just physically protecting um characters or uh people who need protection, he's like a bodyguard slash private investigator, but instead of physically protecting them, he'll like assume them and like you know, wear uh prosthetics that make him look like them or whatever to make him the target of whoever's coming after this person um, instead, which is an huh. interesting concept. That is a cool concept.
1: Huh. I've, I've always thought of human target as a kind of a mix of like a uh, quantum leap and mission impossible. Hmm. That, that's kind of like the deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is an obscure one. Uh, I, I appreciate that. He's dipping his toes into uh, the obscurities of uh, DC, the art, on the cover. He just basically looks like a fusion of like Nick Fury and Mr. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Phil, yeah, Smallwood. Do you, do you know uh human target? I mean, I'm familiar with him. I used to be buy those uh, encyclopedias all the time when I was yeah. in middle school and high school, you know, I never read a book of his though. Mm. Yeah. I,
2: that's what I was thinking. I, I've got some pretty deep obscure DC knowledge, but this one even I've heard, I've only heard whispers of this one. <laughs>
0: So. <laughs> well, what would you say to the fact that there was actually um, a couple of attempts to bring him to uh, the the big screen? Mm-hmm. There was, was a TV. There was yeah. a TV show in 2010. Yeah, probably, two seasons. That's probably what? where I <laughs> heard yeah. of it. Yeah, that's where the I,
1: whispers came from. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's, yeah, <laughs> wait,
3: there's multiple TV
0: shows. <laughs> there's two. Yeah, I remember the 2010 version. I did not know that it was based on a comic book.
1: Huh. Is is this a bit of a Mandela effect where it's like there were two TV shows? What? Um, yeah, right. Like well,
3: reality is shifting somehow here. Fun fact: the the one that was made in the '90s, there was a television pilot made for it starring Rick Springfield, the <laughs> musician. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
4: Okay.
0: Yeah, um, Greg Smallwood is going to be uh, the artist continuing Tom King's uh, long history of working with tremendous artists. His cover is Hot really fire. nice. Yeah, um, I ha- don't know what to expect. I'm sure that Tom is going to deal with probably the the you know PTSD <laughs> of Christopher Chance. You know, assuming all these different identities and going through the trauma. Of taking on these people's lives and being um, sad, and <laughs> that's pro- and there's gonna be some insane twist where now someone's you know he's impersonating someone who's impersonating someone else, or some kind of weird garbage like that. He meets the their wife, yeah. Right. Will it be good? Uh do you have a coin handy? Flip it, who knows? <laughs> Tom King is like on fire, and like he's got like four books. Going concurrently right now. Some of them are fire, and some of them are forgetful. Heads or tails,
3: like, right now?
0: Uh, heads. heads.
3: Heads. It's going to be great. There oh, we go. Shit.
0: All right. <laughs> awesome. I'm currently
1: working at a book for DC that's about Tom King as Two Face. Uh, you know, it's 50 chance of it being any good. Uh, and uh, that's basically my that's my pitch right now. That's my that's my bit. That's my bit Let's for the Move day. on to the next segment. Take care, everyone.
0: <laughs> Cool. Thank you. We talked about what if that book will be good. Why don't we talk about Marvel Studios' What If? We're getting a TV what those, show. And, what if those were good? What if, what if those were good? We'll find <laughs> <Indeed>. out. <laughs> uh, we will find out. Uh, but we're going to get a look at that with the trailer they just dropped. I'm actually going to share my screen here with you guys so that we can watch this trailer together <laughs> if you are watching this on YouTube. Um, hey, thanks for the copyright strike, YouTube. it's inevitable right yeah uh i actually just realized i haven't even seen this trailer oh for real Uh, so yeah oh cool i don't know why but i'm watching it live with you guys now Um, it's all good
4: off off the bat uh i'm i dig the the art style like that that's the first thing that caught me i was just like oh this is interesting okay i can i can see this it's funny I because at the first time we saw the art style,
3: I really didn't like it. Yeah, that's great. But seeing it in like actual action, rather than just like the little tiny frames we were getting, it mm-hmm. looks less stiff to me. Like sometimes it still has a little bit of like an uncanny valley thing, but um, but I, I think I'm with Marco. I I think I, I think it's growing on me more
0: seeing it, you know, a little bit more realized. Wow, this is crazy. Um black panther as star lord this is they're saying this is uh chadwick boseman's last performance yeah Um, really yep
1: i can't stand the way this looks i can't get over it you don't like it the visuals yeah i can see why
0: i'm not sure how i feel like i don't hate it i don't think but i might hate it i'm really put off by it Ooh, the watcher
4: yeah that's us (laughs) It, and no it's interesting yeah it looks like they're going to be touching on like now that they've got the whole multiverse setup like this is the perfect time to just be oh this with this and this combines with this like it, there's there's a lot here that i think is also going to be a lot of fun i wonder if this is going to be the where maybe they show um what if like an x-men or like what if fantastic four i
3: don't i don't this feels like a weird place to introduce those characters yeah um, I, I, f- I feel like it, if they did, though, it was, it's the one place
2: they could do it and actually keep it secret.
3: Easily, yeah. Uh, something uh, I, I learned about this week that I thought was really interesting was, um, I forget the creator who had tweeted it out, but um, obviously we see here, right, uh, first season drops on August 11th. It's going to be a 10-episode series. They've already confirmed that they're doing a second season. Wow, right, okay. Which is cool. I'm down. Yeah, I mean, this, this is an idea that obviously has a lot of legs. Um, So, I mean, this first one, right, it's like it seems like what if Killmonger saved Tony Stark? So that's going to be interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, What if Black Panther was Star-Lord? What if the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, saved Earth over the Avengers, I guess? Um, This looks
3: like, I guess, like what if... I mean, he's like fighting like an evil version of himself here, it looks like, right?
0: I don't know. Um, Um... what if uh, Sharon Carter became Captain America? And you can Marvel see in Zombies.
3: that um, there's a Hulk <sighs> in that, it looks like, too. And uh, Howard is is Iron Man. Wait, Howard the Duck? No,
4: no, Howard Stark. Oh. <laughs> Howard the Duck is in this. but <laughs> Oh, I see, because it's like in the past. Okay. Yeah,
0: he's in like a steampunk Iron
4: Man suit. Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So uh, I I'm cautiously optimistic. I think this could very well be be good. It's I think it's more on the strength of the concepts than anything else. Uh, We know that Marvel Studios puts out good stuff, but each episode presumably is going to feature a different what if question. Yeah. And if you like the question and you want to see it answered, you'll probably enjoy that episode. So that, that allows there to be a lot of variance in people's perspective on the quality of a given episode.
2: We- oh, variance. Interesting.
1: <laughs> oh, the plot thickens. Hmm. We, we talked about this the last time, what if came up, but uh, there's a degree of, like, it feels like there's not enough history for the poll on here, like with, with the comics, there's so many books and there's so many years of history that they're doing the what if thing. There's, there are so many possibilities, but going off just the MCU of like what, 22 movies or whatever. And a couple shows, shows doesn't like, I don't personally feel like there's a lot of what if questions that make me go, Oh yeah. What if
0: agreed?
3: I I don't know. I, I, I don't think I agree. I mean, like, I think like looking at this, like, I think there's a couple really strong elevator pitches here, but like, I mean, even like aside from that, like Marvel Zombies isn't something that's unique to the MCU, right? Like, and they're pulling on that. I think it's an opportunity for them to explore some things, you know, from the books
0: that maybe don't make sense in the context of the MCU. Yeah, know? exactly. Only, only with MCU characters though, which is I think what Phil's saying. Like, yep, mm. you're so limited in terms of who you can use. I see that there's some things that are just off the table. Yep. And as far as the concepts that are in this trailer, um some of them we don't necessarily fully know like I don't know what's going on with Doctor Strange, but um of the concepts in this trailer, I can't say that any of them are like I need to know the answer to this for I mean, me right now. And at least with zombies, like zombies MCU, I don't think that's
1: like too much of a stretch, right?
3: No, I mean, my my point there is more that I think that there are things that we can pull from that will be fresh for the MCU. But point taken about like the, the roster of characters, I guess, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think, I think for me, like I, this is probably the one that I was most interested in just from the onset in terms of like just the elevator pitches. Cause I like Elseworlds. I like what if stories, you know, they're fun. Um, and I think the fact that like, they're only going to be one episode deals, like you have a, a pretty, pretty good amount of freedom with what you can do. Yeah. And I appreciate that.
4: Hmm. I was disappointed in the, some of the voice um, of whatever we got, like Paul Bettany's not in it. Um, they got it. Someone else for the vision, which I guess oh, makes that's sense. Good. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. And I, 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 didn't know that that was Chadwick Boseman. I, I thought it was another voice because it, it didn't sound like him for me. It definitely is him. Is it?
3: Yeah, I'm with like you It's, it's it. confirmed his it, last
0: performance. I didn't think it sounded like him either, but yeah. it, is, it is him. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. Uh, August 11th. 11th. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Call me when Aunt May becomes a herald for Galactus.
4: <laughs>
0: Yo. Happen. That's crazy.
4: Oh, that's not a what if story you're interested in, Kyle?
2: No, that's a what if story. I'm very interested. That's
3: in. the what if story he wants. Yeah. Hmm. It's really yeah. odd to me that they don't have, like, Paul Bettany when, like, every other character... Yeah, it was back, I think. Okay, but well, people... not Tony Stark and not Captain America. Yeah. Those are different.
1: Are people just done with Paul Bettany? Is that, like, is that moment passed? No, past? no, sure, I'm He's sure. He was just in Vision. <laughs> yeah,
2: he, he may have been... Doing WandaVision, yeah, it was probably a place. conflict mm. more than that's, anything.
1: That's my bad. I was confusing Paul Bettany with the dude that played Phil from the first Avengers movie. What's that guy's name? He was an agent of the Coulson. colson <laughs> That's what I meant. Are people done with that guy?
0: Are, did he do something wrong?
1: No. No, I meant like are these like bored? Like, you know, that was a moment of oh. the past, thing in
0: the past kind of thing. Oh. I,
1: I just don't. Is he in this?
0: I don't. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think sorry, so. my bad. Uh, so uh, moving on. uh Two characters who America loves, of course, are Superman and Captain America. Ugh. Well, uh, Superman is at odds with Captain America now. But I'm not referring to the comic book Superman. I'm referring to one of the actors who played him in real life. I'm talking about Dean Cain. Is that, uh, Dean? Is that Dean, Dean Cain? Cain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Recently, Marvel put out the uh, United States of Captain America, which is a book that, from what I understand, sees Captain America going around the country and teaming up with other people who have donned the Captain America moniker, created their own costumes, etc., um, to fight the good fight in their own neighborhood uh, against various you know, threats to whatever degree. Um, In the book, Captain America says, uh, I'm loyal to nothing except the dream. I actually said that once. Here's the thing about a dream, though. A dream isn't real. That line got taken, and I guess you could say taken out of context, uh, by the Washington Times, which is a conservative uh, newspaper. And they basically tried to... uh, stoke anger regarding that you know that line um in the book that even on their own website they use another portion of of the book uh to to further the point uh and it's 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 cap uh thinking about the, these things he says uh, this is the white picket fence fallacy that if we're not careful becomes nationalism jingoism That dream isn't real. It never was because that dream doesn't get along nicely with reality. Other cultures, immigrants, the poor, the suffering. People easily come to be seen as different or un-American. The white picket fence becomes a gate to keep others out. So that is something that the Washington Times took and ran with, um, and it pissed them off, and then it proceeded to piss off Fox News. All right. Uh Yeah, amazing, right? Uh so they had Dean Kane on. I guess he's you know one of their you know pundits who comes on randomly or whatever.
1: When they did talk uh, about superhero shit, they're like, let's get Dean. Expert. Expert. <laughs>
4: is that is that Dean Kane?
0: Superhero <laughs> expert, Dean Kane. Hell yeah. Um and so he had a lot to say about uh about this, you know, this quote. Uh he said it's, the, it's become the cool, fashionable thing to do to bash America and to hate America. I am on the exact Look, opposite yeah, side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I love this country. It's not perfect. We are constantly striving for a more, more perfect union, as we all know. But I believe she's the most fair, equitable country ever with the most opportunity than anyone's ever seen. And that's why people are clamoring to get here from all over the globe. <laughs> He said, supporting the flag and the red, white, and blue in the United States of America makes me a revolutionary in some terms. <laughs> I believe the pendulum will swing back to openly appreciating American values, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, as soon as people start studying them in school again. Mm. I love I when yeah, love love we stop toast. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Well, Go ahead, Phil. <laughs>
1: Oh, I just forgot that we're not studying that shit in schools. Yeah, I really right. didn't learn it. I, I, I was,
4: I was learned to hate America. That's right. Yeah, it's because <laughs> of the liberal agenda, Marco. Yeah, I um, hated it so much I left. <laughs> well, see, you put your money where your
0: mouth is on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Sean. I was enjoying you guys shitting on this but um <laughs> i mean i i'll, I'll say this uh, it's
3: uh, there's nothing funnier to me than when like a toast white dude calls himself a revolutionary i'm just imagining him like trying to sell uh, a shirt of himself like posing like Che Guevara, and he's like i'm a real revolutionary it's
0: me dean kane I mean, opening his shirt like Superman, <laughs> and he's got, you know, the flag underneath it.
1: I mean, it is, we can see right through what this is, right? Like, obviously, they didn't read the issue, and they're just fanning the flames to piss off the old white people who watch Fox News to make it seem yeah. like, oh, everyone's against us. They're doing the same fucking shit they always do. Like, that issue. Uh, was the United States of Captain America was not like a anti-America issue at all. This is just like the time, you know, they fan the flames of, of, of controversy saying that uh, Superman was anti-American because he renounces American c- citizenship or whatever, like eight years ago. And it's just an excuse to get people pissed off and angry about a thing that isn't a real controversy. And of course, I think the irony here is that like, Dean Kane is like talking about how people are clamoring to get to the United States or whatever, but he's also like a big time anti-immigration guy, which of course is doubly ironic because Superman is a fucking immigrant.
4: Well, and you know, you hear the quote, Bill. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what. How did you, it, it's completely un-American. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see what you're saying. <laughs> Go on. Go off, King. I, I. I didn't have to. Sean read it.
1: <laughs> no, I want to give us some poll quotes. Good. The king has spoken, quotes. and the
3: king's name is Dean Kane. from the issue.
4: No, oh, I, oh, I didn't read it, so
3: I'm, <laughs> no, I'm going to be mad about it. Uh, That's right. The the thing I wanted to just dunk on here it was the fact that like I, I love that um, whenever this story gets drudged up again because you know to Phil's point with Superman, right? Like this kind of thing happens every once in a while. Um, in a couple of years. I love how they're like the new Captain America. The new Captain America is so political. It's like, yeah, right. Like, the old Captain America wasn't explicitly created to be expressly political. Okay. And
2: even still, like, he hasn't been the same fucking person for 80 years. Yeah,
3: like, this is the thing. This is the character. This is, he went on, there's a whole movie about it. It just happened a couple years ago. Like, it's not new. Shut up.
1: Yeah, and, like, these books aren't super left wing either um, like the both marvel and dc make sure that like they they kind of are careful with this kind of stuff i think yeah. of when superman uh punched a cop or whatever eight years ago in greg Pock's book but like they dressed that up as much as possible to make it like clear that, like this isn't a real cop it's like an alien disguised as a cop up up up, to like all this stuff but of course it was a giant talking point saying like ah superman supports black Lives matter and he hates the police and all this stuff but like dc the company and i'm sure maybe that's what greg was going for but you know dc the company did everything they could to make sure like they walked it back in the fucking context of the issue and it's the same thing here with Marvel in this issue of Captain America like they do everything they can to make it very clear that Captain America still supports the dream
0: he does dream is dead he's saying he's saying that the 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 dream doesn't work it doesn't it, it can't apply because it doesn't apply to every
1: or I'm sure I'll like end up with him
0: supporting the dream or some shit.
1: Like there'll be he'll some find, kind of a find his faith. I mean,
3: again. that's the thing. Something though, right? Like is like <clears throat> to your point, Phil, it doesn't it, it's not like this super left wing idea, but like it doesn't need to be for yeah. this kind of person to characterize it that way. The fact yeah, exactly. that, that they're saying that, like, the dream doesn't exist because it doesn't include everyone is a radical statement to someone like fucking Dean Cain, you know, and the, the chuckleheads that want to listen to what he has to say
1: yeah i mean that's just that's just the thing at the end of the day that's really kind of summarizing where I'm coming from is all this is just really
0: super disingenuous well, to cap this conversation i, I want it. to end nice I <laughs> didn't even intend that um <laughs> no cap to captain
2: America this conversation yeah.
0: i i wanna <laughs> i wanna end it with a tweet from the man himself uh Dean Kane so Dean Kane was taken to task for the fact that, you know, he didn't actually read the comic. He can't read. He's <laughs> like, kale. how good is this fucking education system if you can't read Dean <laughs> Uh So they, they've been coming for him on, on that fact. And Dean said, uh, I haven't read the issue. Or he said, "It's true. I didn't read the comic, but I stand by everything I said." Cool, great, dude. Hot great. one. <laughs> How the hell? Cool. Can great. you stand by an opinion about something that you've never engaged?
3: That's in? his right as a white man in America, Sean. <laughs>
0: Moving Y'all,
4: yeah. on. Y'all ain't never seen Fox News, <laughs> Sean. He's he doesn't have to read it, and I'm. This is a pull quote, okay, Phil? All right, Thank page you. page one, first. Okay first uh, paragraph i am loyal to nothing except the dream i i actually said that once this is what he's saying here's the thing about a dream though a dream isn't real he's saying that the american dream is not real that is an american dean kane you are totally right everything that you say and do you don't have to read it it's fine
1: i mean he did say it that's true that's right so i guess
3: right there on the page we're the dean kane pals now I'm late to announce my formal resignation
4: from the Dean Kane pals. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We we don't even have to change the, the marketing. It's still gonna be TCP. The Kane pals, that's it.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. And our colors are on point too, right? That's it. Yeah,
4: red, white, and blue. Yeah, there you go. Oh shit. Oh, Can't blame wow. us for not
3: being. Wait, right. If we're
0: gonna
4: be the Kane pals, can we be the Michael Kane pals? I
0: like no. him
3: better.
2: No, we're gonna be gotta be <laughs> What's Kane? the point of doing all those push-ups, Master Bruce?
5: <laughs>
0: Let's talk about... It's to hate America. All right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Victoria Alonso is a bigwig producer at Marvel Studios. And she has been outspoken over the years about Marvel's push toward diversity and uh, representation within their films and now TV shows. Um, obviously, with Black Widow out now um she's you know it's a hot button topic and she's been tackling it and addressing it directly um because this is only marvel's second uh female led film the first of course being captain marvel um and why did it take so long for black widow to get her turn um so it and and also in addition to the conversation about um black widow there is also a conversation about uh, again, wider representation as it relates to sexuality, and that's something that got addressed in Loki. But I'll read her quote from Variety, a Variety interview regarding Black Widow first. Um, it takes time. We have so many stories that we can tell. We will empower those that are. We're not changing anything. We're just showing the world who these people are, who these characters are. There's a lot that we have coming up, and I think that will be representative of the world today. We're not going to nail it in the first movie or the second movie or the third movie or the first show or the second show. But we will do our best to consistently try to represent. She also talks about uh, objectification of women and uses the Black Widow character to kind of uh, speak directly to that issue within their films. Um, So she says, it bothered me then and it bothers me now in reference to a scene in Iron Man 2 in which Tony Stark is looking at pictures of um, Natasha and says, I want one. Um, In reference to Pepper Pot saying that Natasha is a potentially very expensive sexual harassment lawsuit. I actually watched that scene back yesterday and I don't feel like that's the exact context. I think um, he was saying he wants one in terms of her as a... uh, as a... uh, secretary oh um not that that denies the misogyny of the statement but I don't think he was talking about the sexual harassment lawsuit part yeah um so uh Alonzo said it bothered me then and it bothers me now I remember thinking she's not a thing um but how apropos the world sees a sexy woman and thinks that because she is beautiful that's all she has to give uh, there was always a myth that women's stories don't sell, that superheroes can't be women. We had to demystify a bunch of these myths that were very much a part of what Hollywood was all about. Uh, I think there is a conscientious effort not to objectify women. So that's that's what she had to say on that part. And then um, as far as the sexual orientation representation, uh, Alonzo said, I have to be honest with you, um it's not a big deal it is what it is when it suits the character we're not going to do it because it's politically correct or incorrect it is what it is don't forget we follow our comics we try to follow them quite to the T so in the comics this is who he was I already explained that our main topic would be dealing with whether or not Marvel can satisfy its (coughs) audiences as far as you know representation goes um but I want to point out an interesting dichotomy so again alonzo has been very outspoken about women in the marvel films and how they're uh how they're you know approached and how they're shown and you can hear in my in what i read the language that she feels very strongly about women being uh about women not being treated as objects and you know things of that nature but when it comes to the con the idea about uh, representation on the LGBT spectrum of things, uh the statement was a lot softer. Uh we'll do it when it well, you know, we'll do it when it makes sense. It's not a big deal. It is what it is when it suits the character. Uh we're not going to do it because it's politically correct or incorrect. And I think it's interesting that there's kind of a like not as much of a of a of a strong statement on the front of LGBTQ representation as there is in terms of not objectifying women. Did anyone else catch that or am I No, no I, yeah, I, you're right. I, yeah, I definitely see what you're
3: saying where like it 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 comes across as like a a a strong statement, a firm statement like what she says about Black Widow and and about how she feels about how women have been portrayed in the MCU and kind of what um her goal is for how they'll be portrayed moving forward. Whereas like the commentary on, on the representation of queer people is, is kind of like, it feels like a little hand wavy, you know, like, and, and and it's interesting because I remember when I first saw that statement, I, at first I was like, Oh, like I kind of was hoping she was saying what I wanted her to be saying. Where, cause like the, um, that quote that you just read, I believe was in the context of, of Loki uh being revealed as as being bisexual right and i was kind of hoping she was going to say oh that doesn't really matter because yeah like we said that he's bisexual but like we want to have you know like actual representation of queer people and queer relationships and in a way that's like you know um the same way that we portray heterosexual relationships right um i was hoping that she was kind of saying that as like a this is the first step right but it feels more like a Kind of like what you said, uh, where it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, when it makes sense, when it's when it's there, we'll do it. But like, how much attention did that actually get? How much is that? Like, he's now the most prominent queer character in the MCU. What does that actually mean? You know, for queer people who want to see themselves in these in these films, like not much. Right. Like,
0: yeah, I mean, I I definitely got that feeling, um, that there was like a flippant, kind of a flippant response. I suppose you could read this another way and say that what she's saying is that, you know, it's not, it's not, a it's, it's not something to be made a big deal of in the sense that, um, you know, this should be the norm. Yeah. But again, it just didn't strike me like that. So.
3: Yeah. I I think that's a good faith interpretation of what she said. And and I don't want to assume that she's saying it in bad faith, but. I definitely get what you're saying in terms of like it comes off differently. It doesn't come off as like a you're I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's that's as important to her, I guess.
4: You know? That's the way that I took it, Sean. Um in in that sort of good faith, it's just like, you know, it it it's not them necessarily being uh politically correct one way or another. It's just how these characters are and that's a positive thing because this is what we're making of these characters and how we're representing them and how they're being portrayed to a broader audience um, so that's how i had initially sort of taken the the statement
0: i think that's perfectly reasonable my only thought to the contrary is imagine if you're reading this as an lgbt person and sure, the first yeah. thing she says is it doesn't matter i have to be honest with you it's not a big deal and yeah. that, yeah, and
3: and I think I think that that's something that um, <clears throat> you know I, I've I've kind of uh, I don't know, I I guess it's something that like I, I've been thinking about more as I like talk with with my queer friends about queer representation and this idea that like there's kind of a movement in <clears throat> Hollywood or in mass culture right that this idea that like the way to represent queer people is to just say that characters are queer but not really like engage do with it in any it. yeah what would you say kill do anything about it yeah and, and this idea that like oh like queerness is just the same as as you know like queer couples are the same as heteronormative couples right and it's like yes in that you know they're people and that we should portray their relationships honestly and and all those things but to just say that it's like oh it's just the same right it doesn't matter it's like that it, it, you're kind of missing the point of what representation is supposed to be, right? Is that like people want to see themselves in in the art that they consume and that they appreciate, right? And they want to feel like they're getting characters that feel representative of them and their experiences. And like just saying that Loki's bisexual and being like, "Ah, oh, yes, I, ha- I have slept with men is like, that's nothing like that's not enough, you know? Um, And I think to your point, Sean, right, like trying to read this from the perspective of a queer viewer, I don't know how you take this as anything but dismissive, you know, or or that it's like lesser than it's not as important. It's not as big of an issue.
1: Well, that's this is why, you know, LGBTQ groups are still pushing this kind of thing, because
0: it's easy for this kind of thing to be performative. You know, I'm so glad that you took the conversation there, Pete, because that is essentially the, you know, the question at play, um, the way that the Marvel Universe is set up, the way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe deals with even heterosexual relationships is to not deal with them. Uh, these are characters who, by and large, are almost teenager-like in terms of their uh, ability to think deeply and critically about things in general, um, and also the way that they approach their relationships with each other platonically or non-platonically. And that's clearly de- deliberate. There are very few characters in the MCU who are overtly sexual, men and women included in that. And I think the really the, the primary examples come from uh, earlier phases within the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically of, of Tony Stark, who is a, a you know, playboy who sleeps with women, and Black Widow, who was um, you know an object of Tony's affection uh, and a sexualized character in Iron Man 2. Um, outside of that, I'm sure there are examples I'm not thinking of, but those are the ones that stick out to me. And in my opinion, as we've gone forward, characters have become less... Uh, sexual in nature or less, you know, provocative in any kind of uh, sexual manner. And so with that being said, can Marvel satisfy the desires of fans who want to see more representation on that spectrum if they're also not willing to allow their characters to be mature? And that's what I want to talk about mm-hmm. among other things in the main topic. It's going to be an unwieldy conversation, but we're going to have it. This is something that we touched upon in our review of Loki 5, uh, the, the lack of sexualization um, within the MCU in general, that, you know, a lot of the characters, there aren't a ton of like relationships between characters. You know, Tony's relationship with Pepper is, is you know, they have a relationship they're you know, they're they're married or whatever, um, but, you know, they're not sexy. Um, they have a family and that's great, but they're not sexy. And we skipped all the like, let's have a baby and, and you know, obviously we skipped the making of the baby. Like, all that stuff is just not uh, on screen.
2: They're very um, uh, sitcom sitcom couple.
0: Yeah. Star-Lord and, and Gamora, they have more like a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing going on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. she more just shits on him and he's pining for her. And again, it feels it feels very like uh uh teenager
1: it's about. like very like gpg rated type w- wandavision felt self-aware about that because a lot of the jokes is like we have a baby now <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean even like ant-man and the wasp right who are like <laughs> canonically
3: they're a couple like they're in the, they're in the movies together as a duo like it's but it's
0: what are they kissed twice
3: like on screen maybe
0: yeah you know maybe. like Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And it's weird to me that that's the way they present relationships in their films, but that's clearly a deliberate choice on their part. And I think that um, when you look at the kinds of audiences that they're courting with these films, they're casting as wide a net as they Mm -hmm. possibly can. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. I think that when you open the door to, you know, more LGBT representation and you're showing that because, again, a common criticism of of Loki among people who, you know, didn't like the fact that they just said Loki's bi and didn't do anything about it, as Kale said, Um, you know, so are they going to show Loki kissing a guy because that's going to piss off a lot of people. Right. And uh, that's. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Eternals is, is going down that road. Eternals uh, will have, does have um, uh, a relationship between. Uh, I'm not sure who the characters are, but. Two of the characters. Jesus Christ. <laughs> can't talk on this podcast. Um, uh, Brian Henry and uh, Has Steinman. the the characters that they are playing um, will be in a a relationship. Um, So how are they going to show that? Are they going to show a kiss? Are they just going to hold hands? What are they going to do? I think that the way that they show it is more important in some ways uh, than the fact that they're saying it. Like, oh yeah, these two guys are together. Okay, but what do they do? Um, Now If they're more in a relationship and willing to show that than uh, Tony and Pepper, right? Then it feels like you're swinging in the other direction to make the point, they're gay. You need to know that they are gay. Uh, And again, nothing wrong with that, but how do you showcase in the Marvel framework, how do you showcase these relationships in a way that satisfies the crowd that wants that to be portrayed in a realistic way in the same universe that typically just is sexless in general.
3: I think I think the way to do it through the lens of the MCU is to just like it, I think it is like just presenting. Um, normalized queer relationships in the same kind of like sexless PG way. Um Because, like, that can be done, you know? Like, um, there are, you know, uh, there's this show that I I was just reading about recently that's been getting attention because it's a new, it's a Disney animated show. Um, and they have, uh, I think it's two of the main characters are, are queer and are, like, together now. Um, and it's not you know it's not like you have to go into this explicit exploration of exploration of anyone's relationship because that's not really what the stories are about you know um to the point we just made right like even the the longest standing relationship in the MCU um that of of Tony and Pepper is like not something that gets a lot of attention and it's not something that is like um that's like really really like super key to to the iron man like story right but like she's a key supporting character to tony and i feel like you could very easily um portray like what will feel like authentic queer relationships in that way by like to to the point you just made sean right of like you know letting them kiss right right like letting um if there was a moment where one of those characters is in a position like tony has been on a couple times where it's like oh I'm probably going to die and like I'm sitting here thinking about my mortality and I'm thinking about the person that I love and I send them a message or or those kinds of things like I think it's like you know um just allowing queer love stories to be just love stories and not having to be like about um about like having to to prove something in the way that you said right of like of having to really like you know, uh go that extra mile to be like, see, like here, we're checking this box, but going further than like having a character mention their sexuality in passing, right? In the way that Loki did, or the way that we had, you know, the first queer character in the MCU was a guy in Captain America's support group who doesn't have a name. Got it, right? Like there are there's a there's a there's a uh a uh, a uh, a spectrum between those two options right um and i think it's it's pretty clear how you could do that in a way that i think would be um meaningful uh for for the folks who want that representation um without having to really modify what the mcu is or does already anyway you know because like sex and sexuality are not really um the point as much as like allowing people to like have characters that they have a sense of identity with, right? Where it's like, I see myself in this character in some way. Um, I think that's more what you want out of representation in the, in the MCU, right? It's not really a place for love stories. So we don't really need it to be a place about, you know, love stories um, for those queer characters to feel like they're being uh, given the same opportunities to, like have loved ones and have the same kind of experiences that you would allow a heterosexual character to have, you know? Um, why do you have to put them in a box because they're queer? It's othering them in the in a way that makes that representation not
4: feel authentic.
0: Anyone else got a follow up?
4: Yeah, w- one of the things that I was thinking of was how uh, how Disney and how a lot of films in Hollywood sort of self-censor for um, other markets, in particular China. That's and, what I was
2: thinking about too. Yeah,
4: and I wonder if to, um, I guess what to tie in what Victoria Alonso said, maybe there's a willingness. There's more of a willingness to see diversity to some extent than there is to see representation of LGBTQ characters. And I'm thinking of particularly a Star Wars example where there were like these two women, but that that, that kiss at the end of one of the star Wars movies. Um, but that was removed for Chinese audiences and also, um, you know, when, when they're promoting the movie Finn is like a smaller, even though he's one of like the main characters, he's a smaller, um, uh, he's smaller on the title card of like the images and stuff promo images. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think to the sexuality point, um, Miranda has been watching a bunch of Korean dramas, right. And, uh, Asia is a market is very conservative when it comes to that. And a lot of the romance stories in um, in these dramas and media representation just generally is very mild, like the biggest thing is, you know, the the meme is you touch hands, and oh, my God, it's like, it's amazing. And um, she was actually watching a the she came across one out of like the maybe 4030 shows, maybe not that much 30 shows she's seen, let's say one was explicit in that it showed like people making out and there was like s- revealing skin, but that's like the, that's the extent to which that'll go. So I wonder to what degree that also plays into how they want to portray these characters as not necessarily sexless, but well, they they, they they don't want to mention it and show it because they have to cater to these other audiences. And um, the kiss is enough. Like that's, a big deal enough in these other markets. Um, And so I I wonder if this isn't also a way to appease to a global market, in that they don't want to, they don't want to uh, just kind of outright go, Okay, this is now sort of the way that we're representing these characters. And will this alienate people who put money in my pocket? Um, And if that's the case, Maybe we shouldn't do this. And maybe the most we can do is say, hey, these guys are in a relationship. Let's leave it at that. Um, If people are clamoring for more, we can't give it to
0: them. You took the conversation exactly where I wanted to to go. Um, I think that a big part of why we haven't seen as much of the uh, representation of people who are LGBTQ plus is because of these other markets. I think that's a big factor, but I also think it's right here at home. Um, one thing sure. we often forget is yep. that, you know, the internet is not life and a lot, there are a lot of people on the internet who, you know, go on Twitter and take Marvel to task, et cetera, et cetera, But that's not reflective of middle America. You know, that's not reflective of the South. That's not reflective of, you know, the majority, maybe the majority of Americans. Austin. Um, and that's a harder sell. Like if you go to see Black Widow, right, and she's not like baring her breasts and doing all these things, you know, you, you'll be like, well, you, you might be like, ah, I want to see more skin. Scarlett Johansson's so hot. But, you know, you went, whatever. You'll, you'll go see the next one. You're cool. If you're that same dude and, uh, you know, there's a a, a, a you know a gay, a gay couple kissing, that might alienate you. And Marvel clearly doesn't want to alienate anybody. So it seems like it's a tricky dance that they have to do with this.
3: I mean, plus Um, plus you add the fact that, like, aside from the fact that there are just, like you said, there are a lot of people who are just bigots. Like, you also have, like, a lot of that international pressure but also like from like the religious right and like oh like i can't believe that disney wants to show queer relationships to children that's inappropriate right like the idea of that even happening at all is something that they look as like sexually explicit in some way right and like there's a lot of when you are a company as big as disney and your market is everyone um yeah like that's those are things you have to you have to think about but i think i guess the question then becomes right like you know um is it not the responsibility of the arts in some way to like challenge us you know and like to to want to um you know drive a conversation forward rather than you know try to not make something that's so broad that it doesn't bother anybody right because that's impossible um and I—that's where I guess the dialogue and the debate comes in, right? Where, where is that responsibility? And you know, are there enough—are um are there enough fans who can like make these statements again and again until they realize that some of this quote-unquote conventional wisdom doesn't actually
1: make sense? Is. Disney the arts, though, I mean, they're a giant company, a giant corporation that's trying to, as we've said multiple times at this point, appease as many people as possible. This is a product to them at the end of the day. Yes. This, this isn't like an art film or something. They, they, none of these movies, none of these movies are making a statement. They're entertainment trying to please audiences.
3: I mean, I think at you least can- At to them. Yeah, I think you can make that case, but we also had the conversation about like what, you know, uh, about some of the 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 politics at play for Kevin Feige to be able to, like, create a situation where Black Panther was allowed to be made, right? And, like, I think the existence of that movie is a political statement, you
1: know? Yes, but you know what? A more cynical perspective would be, like, perhaps to a... a God, I'm taking the perspective of a business person, but to a, a forward-thinking business person... They could say the idea of trying to ignore an entire black audience is bigoted and its uh, neglecting our profit margins, our the opportunity to make the most possible money. You know, to to that type of business-minded person, they could say Black Panther is an experiment to see if we can make a ton of money, and an, uh, you know, as an added benefit, you know, we're making a statement or whatever. But really, it. it you know, a more cynical pr- perspective is saying that, you know, they're trying to make money. And I mean, you're right about that, but I also think that the most cynical bad
3: faith interpretation of it and the most, uh, uncynical good faith interpretation of it are neither of which are true, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's, uh, they're obviously Disney is one of the biggest companies in the world. They're extremely money driven. I'm not here to, to argue anything but that, right? Sure. But I think to argue that every person that works on one of these things isn't an artist or isn't trying to say something or doesn't, uh, have the desire to, to make a statement with the work that they're doing. I don't think that's true either. Like, I of think that. You know, um, and when you look at Kevin Feige, right, one of the highest ranking people in this organization, I definitely think he cares about those things. I definitely think he cares about these movies meaning something to people and saying something to people. Um, and I don't think that the plot needs to be deep or heavy
1: for that to be the case. You know, certainly the people that are making movies like on set day one to the end of filming are, they're artists, they're trying to make something. But at the same time. Oh, with Marvel and Disney films, there is a bit of too many cooks in the kitchen. Absolutely. That, you know, you're making art, but you're also having to appease people above you in a, in a way that isn't always the case with other films or, or smaller films or what have you. Mm-hmm. But I would argue those films can't make the
3: same impact either. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like that's what you're trading off. Right. Like, no. yes, these Marvel movies are required to be made in a in a machine. And that comes with certain requirements. But I think about, you know, the conversations we had around, you know, um, the the untimely passing of Chadwick Boseman and like what uh, the, some of the quotes and the conversations that came out from him and people that were close to him about how he knew what he was doing had so much impact. Right. And that like that film like meant so much to so many people because it was a Marvel movie and because it was a mass culture mainstream thing right it wasn't uh, an art movie it wasn't this this indie thing like you're talking about no, um, of course not. but and and that's i guess the conversation that like you know i'm trying to entertain here on some level is that like like looking at the eternals like the eternals is a is a ensemble film uh, that's a multicultural cast like that's something that is a gamble or or might be, mm-hmm. have been seen as a gamble when you, when you're looking at it through the lens of you know conventional filmmaking and conventional Hollywood wisdom or whatever, right? And Marvel's able to challenge that because they're the big dog now.
1: Um, I I certainly don't disagree with any of that because it's just an irrefutable fact. Um, What I guess you can say about something like Black Panther or to a lesser extent Eternals is that uh, you have an opportunity to really challenge the conventional pop culture product and and have a movie that's made by a lot of black creators and stars a lot of black actors and stuff Um, but then the other side of that is can marvel make a movie that's predominantly lgbtq oriented and still profit off it in a way that they think they can because that's kind of where i I feel like the 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 balance exists for a marvel or a disney is that if you're a cynical business person you think ah this is a large audience that's untapped and then this also gives an opportunity for a bunch of creative types to create a message that's inspiring. You know, is that something that can happen with an LG, with the LGBTQ community? You know? Yeah. That's the question I have.
4: Yeah. I, I think that that's the biggest piece for me is uh, like, there's a sort of set of institutions that need to be sort of tackled first. Um, and the way to do that in the, in the Disney and corporate realm is, does this make money at the end of the day? Right. Um, so I, I definitely think that, and this is obviously me taking that cynical sort of view, is I definitely think that Black Panther Eternals are experiments that someone had to convince them to say, hey, mm-hmm. X amount of money might be able to be made here. Right. Definitely.
0: I think um, it's, 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 it's interesting because Black Panther is a... You know, it's a really cool movie, and obviously it was a a watershed moment, and obviously it had a huge impact on me and so many other black people. Um, uh, And it could have gone wrong. It could have been a bad movie, but I don't think if if the movie's good, it's unchallenged, right? Because black people are going to want to see a Marvel movie that features a black guy, right? the the black main character, black everything. Yes. We're going to want to see that. Of course, we're going to want to see that. So is it a gamble to make a movie about a black guy at a certain point in time? Yeah, for sure. But I think, um, at the time that they did it, probably not, especially if you have a a creative team and a pedigree that's dedicated to telling a good story. Um, we all want to see that. So we're all going to go see that. Uh, That's a lot different. It's a lot different. So, like, we know that Eternals is going to feature some amount of, you know, LGBT representation. We know there will be a a gay relationship. That's not the point of the movie. Black Panther was a black movie. How do you get that same thing for a gay person? Can you make a movie where the main character is gay and that's it? Like they are gay, you know, cannot get over? That's a different thing because guess what? Yeah. There are black people who don't like gay people. There are white people who don't like gay people. There are Spanish people who don't like gay people. X, Y, Z. There are no black people who don't like black people, right? Like <laughs> you, if you make a black movie, we're out. You know, if it's good, if it's high quality, especially if you like Marvel, we're out. You know, so once you start getting that into that minutia, it becomes a lot harder and it becomes a lot harder to justify And that's a big question that I'm asking. And this is Eternals. This is an Avengers. What happens if you said, oh, um, the leader of the Avengers is gay? The primary character, the Tony Stark of the next wave of Avengers is gay. That's the movie that everybody's going to see. You can skip Eternals. You can't skip Avengers. Right. I think that that's where you really put your money where your mouth is. And Marvel hasn't done that. And I don't personally think they will be i think they probably will i
3: just don't think it's anytime soon um i and i i base that on other business moves that i that disney's been making of late um like i talked about how uh i think it's called the owl people i was just reading about it it's um, the cartoon owl house yeah yeah it's a disney show Mm -hmm. um and that's their their first uh at bat First, not their first representation of queer characters, but their first show where the main characters or some of the main characters are queer, right? Um, but also, uh, Disney, um, uh, has just this, this last month, right? Um, they made like a really, really big point of saying that they were officially celebrating Pride now and that they, that this is like a, one of the, um, they have, um, like this key these uh this and i'm sure sarah's listening upstairs and gonna be upset that i don't remember what it's called but um they have this like set of rules basically right that they call like the keys or whatever that are like the the key rules that they govern you know disney by or whatever and they added one for the first time in a really long time that was like specifically about um representation you know and and i'm not saying that um they're doing those things in like, uh, necessarily in like good faith or like out of uh, a desire for, um, to be p- perceived as per- more progressive necessarily. But I think it is that they see that the, that, that market is emerging and that they want to, to sell to it. Um, and I do think that the, the cynical, um, side of me in this conversation thinks that there's only so long that they can ignore that demographic before they're leaving money on the table. Um. Right. And I think they see that. Uh so I I, I do think that, you know, Sean, I, I would say I agree with you right now, or I don't think that movie gets made now. Um, but I think it it feels less crazy to me, maybe in like phase five, you know, um or or beyond. Right. Um the so the question of like does that work? Does that get over? Like that's a different question, but
1: Remains to be seen well that's the question right when it came to something black panther the question was you know it's the the cost analysis the cost benefit analysis of can we make enough money off people that aren't bigoted and racist versus people that won't go to see it because they're racist and bigoted or they don't you know whatever you want to call it same thing with this uh, lgbtq conversation is, is there enough people that are uh you know, part of the LGBT community or an ally uh, that would go see a movie that is led uh, with characters that are uh, uh, gay or bi or, or trans or what have you versus people that are bigoted toward it. And I think in 2017 when Black Panther came out, I think – We were further along in the conversation about race. Certainly, there are many racists, many bigots that still exist. I mean, we've seen all the things that have come out of the last two years uh, uh, as America's had another uh, kind of a race awakening moment. But I think, even, I think the LGBTQ stuff is even further behind than the race conversation in terms of, of, of really normalizing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, you
3: think about, like, just specifically, like, zeroing in on, like, the idea of, like, trans rights, like, being a conversation that's happening in the mass culture is something that, like, at the start of the MCU, it wasn't at all, right? Um, So, point taken.
0: So, where I come down on this is, I don't think, and this is sort of to Pete's point, I don't think that the MCU is a place to challenge the norms of society i think the mcu is a place to reflect the norms of society similar to the comics and i think that uh it's even less so than the comics because of how unwilling they are to let the characters be mature the Mm -hmm. characters do not feel like adults um they don't feel like fully developed realized people in general I think you can count on your hands the amount of characters in the MCU that really feel like people who exist. Um, and I think that when it comes to tackling issues that matter, the MCU has done a very bad job. And I don't think, me personally, and, and I'm, you know, it's fine to disagree, of course, but I think it's difficult to address uh, LGBT representation. By simply putting a character in a movie. Uh, The same way it's not enough to just have. Like. Winners. Or. um, War Machine join the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Black Panther. The movie had to be made. And it's. it's, It couldn't have been made. If it wasn't going to talk about. In some capacity. Race relations. Mm -hmm. It had to. had to deal with that it had to reconcile with that in order to almost like in order to pull black people black identity into the mcu it had to integrate into itself race race had to become a conversation in the mcu in a way that it never had been before even though the mcu had already featured black people that's not enough it needed to talk about those things and that conversation leaves the space to move forward. Now you can make a Black Panther movie that doesn't have to be about that. But you couldn't have done that before. So to me, you have to apply that across the board. But for whatever reason, Marvel seemed a lot more comfortable doing that in the case of Black Panther than, say, Black Widow. We're not going to spoil Black Widow here and listen to our review, and we'll have further thoughts about that. Um, but I will say this. That movie doesn't... That movie handles the conversation around women um, bad. It handles it badly. And that's bad for women in the MCU. Because it tries to do that same Black Panther thing, but it fails at that. And I think that um, for the future, if you're talking about like a gay uh, main character, like the primary character of a movie is gay. In my opinion, it needs to reconcile with with, with it needs to, to bring that topic into the equation. Yeah. And if it's not willing to do that, don't make the movie. It's pointless. Yep. Just let there be gay characters and call it a day. Don't address it because the MCU is not the place for that. And they, it worked in the case of Black Panther. But I think that was a very unique situation. And they tried it again with Black Widow. And I think they failed. And Captain Marvel. I don't even think really made the attempt. It just kind of said girls are cool, yeah. Boys suck. Girls rule, and that's their approach. Black and Black Widow, without any spoilers, all the men are bad or dumb. They're they, they're irrelevant, and that's the stance. It, it's not enough to do that. You have to really go the extra mile, integrate them in a holistic way, or don't do it.
3: Yeah, it, it ends up um, <laughs> it ends up making like both of those movies, and like you know, I, I liked both of them to varying degrees right but they feel like they have like big girl boss energy rather than being like you know let's actually talk about you know the way that women are treated and portrayed in the real world or in media or in any of those things right it doesn't feel like a feminist movie it feels like a movie that wants to like pat itself on the back for being a feminist movie you know what i'm saying um and Never i think
0: mind feminism just 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 Having a conversation that's genuine.
3: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Not. Not even approaching that. Um. Whereas I think to to your point, Sean, like if if you do want to have uh a a universe where you know where I feel like we're really getting good, honest queer representation in the MCU, I think it has to go the route of Black Panther. It has to contest with it, and it has to be a story that's told by queer people.
0: Yeah. Um. That's what's going to make it work. Agree. And Victoria Alonzo's comments, in my opinion, underscore what I'm talking about. Yes. In the case of Black Widow, she says, we will not, you know, we're making every effort not to objectify women. We're making every effort not to be, you know, misogynistic in how we tell stories that involve women. Okay. So what does that mean? That means, um, not showing, you know, not having women wear, not having Black Widow wear her, her zip up, um bodysuit unzipped a little so you can see cleavage okay cool well there was an ass shot in black widow is it a problem when it's a woman director or is it fine but the same person who's making that statement says it is what it is and it's not that big of a deal when you're talking about uh representation for lgbtq people that's bullshit it is a big deal it's bullshit you can't say that i mean you can say whatever you want but it tells me where your motives are if I'm taking her the way she intended her message to be.
3: Right. Yeah. If you take it at face value, that's how it comes across. And I don't really think there's another interpretation, you know? um,
1: Yeah. Yo, know, I had to look up who the director was when I saw that ad
0: shot. because I was like, is this a dude directing this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to say this. I don't have a problem with it. I don't care. Starla Johansson has a great butt. I don't think there's any reason not to show it. I think that's perfectly fine. I think the commentary about Iron Man 2 is dumb because Black Widow's character in that movie is supposed to be alluring to Tony Stark so that she can worm her way into his organization so that she can steal information. That's the whole point of her character in that particular movie. There's nothing wrong with a, a, a femme fatale character. There's nothing wrong with being sexy or pretty or anything like that. Why is there such a movement to strip sexuality from the MCU but at the same time not deal with LGBTQ representation? That's why I say it's bullshit. I th-
3: I think um just to put a a point like on the 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 uh, black widow of it all. I I do think that that's something that bothers me is this idea that like because a character is sexy or sexualized like that like Devalues them in some way automatically, yeah. Automatically, right? Because like, I I do agree that like, there like like that dialogue is like it's a little bit like yeesh, you know. Like it is a little bit like yeah, like you're you are treating this woman like an object. But to your point, like that's the purpose of that interaction in that story is that like she would do she uses that to her advantage to uh to control a situation and like. I think there's an argument to be made, um, however, in my mind, right, that, like, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that, or that type of character, or having a character that is, like, you know, sexy or whatever. But I do think that, um, you know, the commentary that, right, like, that the only really prominent female character in the MCU in Phase 1 is that character, is a character who is, like, the male gaze, sexy character, um and kind of is put in that role uh multiple times and wasn't able to get her solo movie until after she was canonically dead um all those kinds of things i think that it does speak to a narrative that like is uncomfortable in terms of how women have been portrayed you know um not so well in the MCU like over the years off and on like i don't i don't think that it's like for me, it's it's not about the moralizing in the way that you're pointing out. It's more that, like, you know, it's all of those things. It's all of those things. And and even what we just called out about the way that Black Widow and Captain Marvel try to portray female empowerment as feeling like, you know, um, hollow in some ways, right? Like, I think it, it's all of those little things lead to me feeling like if Black Widow was one of many leading ladies in the mcu it would be a lot different conversation um but she's not she was the one for forever um and i think that like they they did grow that character to a place where like it didn't feel to me anyway that that was her role and that was what was expected of her how she was going to be used in a plot but it's definitely where she started and it it feels like um you know up to a point you made earlier sean right like that that to me feels a little bit like a product of its time you know that feels like some early 2000s type energy um and i don't again i don't necessarily i'm not inherently offended by that um on its face but the fact that like the work isn't really interested in engaging with that issue beyond that um does like leave me feeling like a little bit um
0: I know that that does leave a a taste in my mouth. You know, that's my point. Though the movie is the movie is supposed to be a reversal of your expectation. Sure, she comes in hot, and Tony's like, "Oh, I want one." By the end of the movie, he he realizes he's been completely duped the entire time, and she played him. And in Avengers, she's not that character at all. No, Avengers was her next appearance. So I feel like there's a lot of projection about the Black Widow character that's not reflected in the movies. The biggest sin is her is her not getting her solo film sooner, but that has more to do with Ike Perlmutter than the current regime. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. We will have more thoughts on Black Widow in our review, which you should go check out. But if representation is important to you, then I would say this. This is just my opinion. The MCU will get around to it. It's inevitable. It will happen. We will see all sorts of people that are all sorts of colors and creeds and everything else. But if you need it now, stop looking to the MCU to do what you want and find something that already is. I understand that that's a controversial statement because people feel like the whole world should feel how they feel, but they don't. And you have to reckon with that because it's your life. And if you want to see characters that speak to who you are as a person, now, go find it. Um, That's how you're going to satisfy yourself. Being on Twitter and yelling about Marvel not having more representation doesn't serve you. Uh, They're going to do it. It'll happen. It has to. It's the world outside your window. And Kevin Feige doesn't have an anti-LGBT agenda. Uh, he actually is very supportive of it. And there's a quote from him saying as much uh, during his Black Widow press tour. But there are people who who are way ahead on this stuff that are making content that you don't even know about. And you should find out about it. And you should support that. Because the MCU, frankly, makes enough money. And you can support it or not, but if you choose not to, they'll be cool. And you can spend that money somewhere where they're doing the things that you need done. I feel like there's a lot of hurt people that react to these stories. And the hurt is coming from a genuine place of a lack of representation. And I get that. But why are you looking to Marvel to do it? Why do you care if Disney does it or not as it relates to meeting your needs right now this second? Marvel's characters are not the only characters in the world. So find what makes you happy, where you need to find it, and Marvel will get where you need them to be down the road. Um, Take care of yourself and stop worrying so much about what corporate businesses are doing. If you want to share your thoughts on this subject or anything else with us, write to us at at thecomicspals.gmail.com. While you're thinking about us, leave us a follow, rating, or review wherever you're listening. If it happens to be YouTube, make sure that you guys hit that subscribe button for free. Like the video, share it with your friends, and drop us a comment. Of course, we really appreciate all the commentary. Thank you to everyone who wrote in on uh, that we read on this episode And, um, you know, again, we really appreciate it. Make sure that you guys are checking out our book clubs. Multiversity is out now. At the end of this month, we will have Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo's Suicide Squad run up as a book club ahead of the movie. And uh, if you want to write in with a suggestion for a book club, again, you can do so in all the aforementioned ways. Listen to our weekly comic book reviews, our image books. We're doing those every single Wednesday, day and date. Uh, So make sure you guys are checking that out and then look for our Marvel DC boom else everything else stuff reviews as well and make sure you tune in for the last episode of we watch Loki which drops this Wednesday. Thank you so much for guys for listening before we end the show let's get into the plugs Pete.
3: Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to connect with me I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram come chat with me about whatever you're reading watching listening to checking out these days I want to hear about it. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can check out uh, the podcast, the video game podcast I host on Mondays over on looppots.com. And you can go check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friend. If you're into noisy punk rock, uh, we're we're pretty good. Um, you'll probably like us. Go check it out. Uh, if Me Dies, Me Dies, our debut album is available wherever you get your music. Um, and we're selling some vinyl this month. So if you want some vinyl, come uh, hit us up on the internet.
0: Ew.
2: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into, that's
4: T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at KillWar.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Marco. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Marco Anamoto. And come talk to me about Jujutsu Kaisen. I've been going through that. Lots of fun. Really, really good anime. Uh, and I just finished Big Kids by Michael DeForge. This is my second reading. Um, and uh, it's... The book has changed uh, for me a little bit from my first reading. So I I found it a little bit more interesting this time around. I'm going back to read some of the other stuff that maybe I haven't touched on from him. Um, So definitely go talk to me about that if you like Michael DeForge or his uh, book, Big Kids.
0: Phil.
1: You can follow me at cyborg bebop on twitter and instagram uh a couple of months ago we had a main topic on the show where we talked about demon slayer and its popularity and so i went down the rabbit hole and i'm about halfway through this first season uh, I, I think it's okay i just oh. think it's fine uh so hit me up with your hot takes about demon slayer on there and uh we can talk about it
0: hmm. as for me you can follow me on twitter and instagram only at sean Soulbox. i just want to say that I really appreciate everyone who listens in and I appreciate all the commentary that we get on the podcast, positive or negatively. Um, It's all cool by me and I'm happy to read it and engage. Uh, So thank you very much. We're the Comics pile signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. The
2: dangerous part is when Sean engages.